The following program contains themes and images that may not be suitable for most audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Panda Pig Inc. Rate, review, and subscribe. Hello again. It's Panda. It's Pig. And you're listening to the Hot in the Bones podcast. See. <laughs> Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Whatever time it is where you are. you are. Hello. How do we sound? Better than last week, I hope. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, episode seven. I can't believe we made it here. How do you feel? <laughs> Anxiety. Yeah, just a little bit. Lit. But I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time, too. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Yeah, so this is episode seven. Very, uh, um, God. A, the pinnacle episode of the first season. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So Let's here, get into it. <laughs> here we encounter for the first time the infamous Howard Epps. God, what was the name of this episode again? The something something. The man on death row. That's what it's called. I believe. Damn Howard Epps. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, defense attorney enlists the help of the Jeffersonian and the FBI mm-hmm. to try and exonerate a man who's about to be executed within, like, was it 48 hours or 30 hours? Something like I that. I think it was something along those lines. I mm-hmm. didn't really care for much for him, but, <laughs> you know, it'd be like that sometimes. it it do. So they're trying to help solve, you know, his Prove case. his innocence, I guess. Unfortunately, yeah. it's been closed for seven <laughs> years, and he's on death row. Mm-hmm. But I guess there's some loose ends. Yes, that they're trying to tie up, and it turns out that he orchestrated the whole thing to his benefit, dun, dun, dun. and thus leading him into being kind of the first villain, uh, long-standing villain of the show. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. um, which is pretty interesting. It's pretty yeah. cool. So let's get into it, let's okay? Do this thing. So the episode opens up with Booth filling out an application for Bones to carry a firearm. Yep. He denies her because she was previously charged with a felony for for shooting Ken Thompson, the senator's aide, in the first episode. Uh, she shot him in the leg in self-defense because he was going to set her on fire. And his fish. And himself, because he did yes. not care. He gave zero. Like. <laughs> yeah. So what were your thoughts? So I had up? a couple of thoughts, actually. Okay. My first thought was on how the scene really reminds me of a situation where you're being interviewed by someone you know. Mm-hmm. So you probably say things you probably shouldn't realistically say <laughs> in a formal situation. Like, for mm-hmm. example, example is... So this is why I feel like in this situation I relate to Bones because Booth asks her, so why do you want a gun? And she's like, to shoot people. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes, yes, correct answer. But you see, in this situation, he's just like, instead of putting down what she says, he puts down what she should actually be saying. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, see, this kind of makes me think of that whole situation of, if you're being interviewed by someone you know, mm-hmm. it'd be, it's hard to take them seriously. Right. You'd just be like, oh, yeah, why do you want to work here? Um, because mm-hmm. I need a job and yeah. I have no money. Blah, why blah, the blah, formalities? Blah, blah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, True. Something that Pig pointed out to me as we were watching the episode is because Booth denies Bones of getting a gun and she notices that the page is blank. <laughs> and I was like, he barely pulled it out. Exactly. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me pause this. And I look, and I'm like, he wrote maybe her first last name and one more box that you can barely see. And I was like, yo, Booth is not committed to writing. We learned this in the fourth episode. Yes, <laughs> like all his scribbling <laughs> when he scribbled. In yes. That episode. Yeah, he's not committed to he's to continuity not. and making it uh, to. What's the word? Uh, suspend or disbelief. Yes. He's just like, eh, it'd be like that. Like, <laughs> But even, okay, so, you know, he denies Bones of getting a gun. Yes. Um, Bones tells Booth that he needs to write down that he was wrong for charging her. And he's like, oh, there's no space. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet it's a blank page. You're saying there's nothing on the page. Okay. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. He had plenty of space to write that down. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. So, but it just goes along with the whole... This whole scene is just literally just confirms how Bones is obsessed with getting a gun. Mm-hmm. Like, she really wants a gun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have I have many thoughts on this scene. Seriously? Okay. Okay, let's do it. So, this two-minute clip is an example of a string of the most unethical behaviors committed by an FBI agent. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> uh, okay. You, you okay? You, yes. Are you sure you can get so, it together? <laughs> so I have issues with the idea that she had a felony charge in the first place. But let's let's talk about. Let's talk about that first, okay? All right, let's do it. So, reminder, I'm not a police officer. I'm not an FBI agent. I'm not a lawyer. But this is my interpretation of how of, of events based on my own knowledge, understanding, opinions, etc. Yeah, so don't shoot the messenger. Right. So, she... So, the scenario that they're referencing when she was charged was from the first episode. She carried a weapon into the home of Ken Thompson. She had it concealed. It was in her the back of her pants when she went into his home to confront him on destroying evidence. So, he tried to set her on fire, and at that <laughs> point, she pulled out her gun and shot him in the leg. So, it's a sticky situation because technically she wasn't in public. And um, Washington, D.C. is not an open carry state. So what that means is, is that if you want to carry your weapon in public, you need to apply for a concealed carry permit. Uh. There are some states that you aren't required to have a concealed carry permit, but you can carry your weapon in public. Seriously? Mm -hmm. So places like... 
um, like Texas, for example, mm-hmm. open carry. So people can carry their guns without that's having crazy. to have a permit. But because they're in Washington, D.C., and that's mm-hmm. their laws. Okay, yeah. Okay. So their laws, if you want to carry your gun out in public, it has to be concealed and you have to have a permit to do so. Of course, unless you're a law enforcement agent or whatever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So, but Bones is not in public. So I'm just trying to cross off all the all the charges she could potentially have. Mm-hmm. So she's not in public. She's got a weapon. I don't know if she's if she's got the proper documents for it, if she got it illegally. I don't know. But <laughs> she's not in public, so that doesn't apply. Um so the only real laws she's violated is breaking and entering into Thompson's home and shooting him in the leg. That was hilarious. But it's shooting him in so the leg funny. was self defense. Yes, because so, we wanted to set her on fire. Mm-hmm. So personally, I don't think she would have been charged in the first place. Hmm. I don't think Booth would have would have charged her. And also, considering their partnership, I don't think he would have been. He should have been the arresting officer. <laughs> and they they say that yeah. she was arrested. You know, yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure how that plays out, but anyway. So the the <laughs> then there's the idea that he's filling the application out for her for a concealed carry permit. Yeah, which is, which is wrong. <laughs> for one, she'd be filling it herself, and two, if he's the arresting officer for her felony, the fact that he's filling out this application for her, that's two wrongs: conflict of interest, and he shouldn't be filling out her applications for her. Mm. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, because it was an application. <laughs> now that I think about it, yeah, when we froze the screen, we're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is an application. He yeah. even give, gives her another one later and tells her to fill it out. Yeah, so the fact that like, he's filling what? out is wrong, and the fact that he's the one who arrested her and then is denying her, all conflict of interest, I all I mean, wrong. if it makes you feel better... She, they did say that he was wrong for charging her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I <laughs> so at agree. least there's that. Um, on the other side of things, not mm-hmm. an ethical point. Something interesting to note. So when Booth is telling Bones she doesn't need a gun, she should just talk people to death. It reminds me. <laughs> it reminds me of something I read in college in a textbook when we were looking, when we were reading about and learning about. Um, de-escalating situations okay so um i read that how female officers on average are better at de-escalating situations leading to less violence through their work i believe that actually Mm -hmm. i don't remember the exact study but i found one when i was researching for this episode from Mm -hmm. 2014 by amalia r miller Mm -hmm. and karmit siegel called Do Female Officers Improve Law Enforcement Quality, Effects on Crime Reporting, and Domestic Violence Escalation. So Mm -hmm. specifically looking in areas of domestic violence, they found, quote, that female officers help prevent the escalation of domestic violence. Increases in female officer representation. escalates or escalates? They prevent the escalation. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should have just written de-escalation, but that's their quote. Okay. Um, so they said, increase in female officer representation are followed by significant declines in intimate partner homicide rates, 
and in rates of repeated domestic abuse. So from their conclusion, what they're basically saying is that having a female officer present um, is a variable Mm -hmm. that is included to show how (laughs) there isn't as much domestic violence or how these things are kind of mitigated. Sure. <laughs> okay. There's not that much domestic violence in the world. No, no. So I'm not saying like it's any crazy amount, but <laughs> that's just how it sounds. But by including female officers yeah. in that workplace, yeah. um, it helps bring the numbers down. Bring the numbers down. So that's just in domestic <laughs> violence, but in you know It just didn't sound right. I know. But I think it's a lot because on average, obviously mm-hmm. there are exceptions. Of course. Females are not as physically strong or impressive or intimidating as men are in a physical way, on average. On average. Yeah. So women have to be diplomats or negotiators or. You know, they have to use their words to be able to de-escalate situations. So I just thought that was very interesting. So Bones, to tie it back, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, Bones talking people to death, it's actually a valid suggestion. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you remember how I said, use your womanly ways? (laughs) Use your womanly ways. Oh, my God. It made me think of how, like, so when we moved to the Amy Morton scene... Like mm-hmm. the federal public defender. Yes. She was, because Booth is like, how'd you get in here? I gave them your picture. Like, what the heck? And she's like, I wore the tiny skirt. And I'm like, use your womanly ways. <laughs> <laughs> so Amy Morton is a, what I'm assuming she's a federal public defender. Mm-hmm. They never explicitly say, they just say she's a defense attorney. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she's on the case for Howard Epps and he was charged federally, I'm assuming she's a federal public defender. Yeah. So she's waiting in Booth's office. Um, she's representing death row inmate Howard Epps yeah. and convicted murderer. Um, <laughs> she believes he's innocent. Booth. Based on a pubic hair. Yeah. One pubic hair. Booth's the arresting officer for the case seven years ago. She wants him to re-review the evidence because Epps is going to be executed in 30 hours. She's, she's, she's only been on the case for like two weeks, but. I thought it was less than a week. Oh yes, less than a week. And based on this pubic hair that was found on the victim that was not tied to Epps, she wants them to take a look at it. Yep. Um, basically what the pubic hair might mean is that there was another man that night who could have potentially murdered the victim, April Wright. And they're assuming, you know, it's possible Howard Epps is innocent and he was Mm -hmm. wrongly accused and could be sentenced to death on a wrong accusation. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I'm just like the way she's acting. I'm like, are they seriously like that? Like, federal public defenders, like, seriously, are y'all really like this? Like, here she is basically cornering Booth, because it's like he's been found, like, Epps has been found guilty in all these ways Booth is saying. Like, literally, they went through a whole process, Mm -hmm. and I was just like, get this public defender's like, are you sure, though? But are you sure? <laughs> After studying this case for less than a week. So, okay, as, honey. So, as to whether 
Booth would actually help investigate this based on her favor. Mm -hmm. I can't say whether that would be a thing or not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But in regards to how she acts, yeah. I mean, there there definitely could be federal public defenders who act like that. They tend to act different depending on... Who they are, maybe? Not just who they are, but depending on what branch in the government you're in. Really? So, like, like, for example, (laughs) if you're in the middle of a trial... Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before somebody's convicted, you're probably you you very well may could butt heads with the federal public defender. Right. Lit. <laughs> you know, but then let's say sentencing comes around. Your guy's been convicted and a whole bunch of crap comes out. Mm-hmm. Then they may be the sweetest person ever because they want to um, get on the good side so that they can maybe make a deal or something. It all depends on what the situation is. Oh, you know, okay. yeah, they, um, yeah, that makes they sense. They can be friendly and they cannot be friendly. I was just like, man, this chick is annoying. What is your deal? Honey? But I think the 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 thing that they do get right is fed, uh, s- mm, it depends. It depends <laughs> okay. because whether it's like state or federal funding, whatever. Yeah. But there can be public defenders who fight tooth and nail for their cases it just all depends but then there are also public defenders who are paid very little and have a thousand cases and don't give a crap that's crazy so it just depends on what part of the spectrum you're on yeah that's um yikes yeah so amy morton suggests that booth go and talk to howard epps so he meets him in prison talks to him a little bit and epps believes he's a scapegoat for april wright's murder and is trying to convince booth that he's innocent i'm just i swear dude i felt booth with the whole eye rolling because i'm just like he just feels so sus in this scene and like i said maybe we're biased because we have hindsight or maybe yeah because we've seen this episode how many times but i do not care for his performance at all i really don't he is one of my favorite villains, though. Really? Because he's so cunning, <laughs> and he's not untouchable. Wink, wink, hint, hint to a later <laughs> villain that I absolutely despise. Oh, yeah. But he's Pig enough. really hates, <laughs> hates it so much. I almost called you Pan. I'm Panda. What the heck? Yeah. I'm rubbing off on you. Stop that. <laughs> Stop but, it. But I like him as a villain. I don't know. He's he's um he's, he's memorable and forgettable to me at the same time. I think it's because it's just first season. Well, I think it's also because he he goes through a couple you know makeovers. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. When I first saw his face, I'm like, wait, that's I don't remember him looking like this, and I'm like, yeah, that's him because you know, hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of a brief scene, but basically they're just trying to introduce you to how Howard Epps is. So then we go from Epps to the lab because booth has got to tell everybody about the fun stuff that's going to happen to them this weekend yes so hodgins and zach are like there's so much going on in the scene like it opens with hodgins and zach beetle racing yes like that's the first thing you see betting a buck every time and then angela comes in she's going on a date she's disappointed because she wants you know bones to hang out but bones just wants to work in the lab yeah you know booth brings the case to them about april Wright. um she was a 17 year old girl she was found beaten to death at a federal park and um bones agrees to look at the evidence as a favor to booth 
Because she respects him. Mm-hmm. Because he said please. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I had so many thoughts. Did yes. you? Yes. Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> I like I love how much is going on. The Hodgins and Zach dynamic continues. Yes. For and- sure. What got my ear was when Angela declines Hodgins' invitation to bet with him and Zach about these Beatles. Uh-huh. And Angela's response is like, she goes, oh, no, thank you. I'm going to go have sex now. And then she immediately goes to Brennan. And then and Hodgins is like, her. okay, have fun. Yes, he goes, <laughs> it was casual, too. Very casual. Like, have a good time. Mm-hmm. Like, what? But that's how she's walking mm-hmm. to Brennan and asks her, you want to come? And I'm like... To have sex? Is that what you're... There's no clarification. Well, and then she says, Troy has a friend. Yes. She Troy's the guy that. she's seeing this yes. episode. But it's like, you would think it'd be a different way of way she words it, but she's mm-hmm. like, do you want to come? You want to come along? Yes. I do love Angela, though, in this episode. Oh, I love um, her. She just seems so in control, and... Even maybe sometimes a little bit condescending, but overall she's a mood. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and she's she continues to be the only social squint, and the only one that seems to have a good work life balance. Where like come to work, but then actually not live there. She takes it apart like yes. piece by piece. Yes. Except for that time we were at doing um, episode four, and the you know the man in the mirror. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was like, dude, why are you up so late in the lab? I remember that. Like, seriously, like, you got Bones and Booth in a Washington state, and you're still awake in Washington, D.C. in the lab. Like, seriously? She was on edge because Bones and Booth were on a sex field trip. Whatever. <laughs> and you'd, do, you'd be on edge at the lab. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, well, she had to be there in case they needed her. Gosh. Oh, but speaking of her, though, it was like after she leaves Brennan, you see Booth walking in and he compliments Angela being like, oh, looking good, Angela. And she's like, don't I know it? I know. I love her. I was like, yes, girl. <laughs> yes. There's so much happening in this scene, guys. Like it was so back much. to back to back. Because after that comment, you hear Booth say to Zach and Hodgins while he's watching them doing, you know, was it the beetle racing. betting? Yeah, mm-hmm. beetle racing. He's like, ah, look at our tax dollars hard at work. <laughs> and I was like, dude. But then you have Hodgins, like, being sassy, asking, what's break time at the FBI? Right. So then here, then you have Booth literally sabotage Hodgins' beetle. Yes. <laughs> and then he moves on to Bones. Because mm-hmm, now he's got to try to get her to help with the case. Yep. And her remark to him when he's asking about her plans, dude, had me dying. Because he's literally asking her, like, what are you up to? What are you up to? And she just goes between, like, you know, his new girlfriend, the corporate lawyer, and the defense lawyer on the side, your weekend must be completely booked. And I'm like, <laughs> dang, yikes, you calling call him a hoe bag. She is. Ugh. She is. He's a hot hoe bag if he's a hoe bag, shoe. <laughs> and then, um, so then they go to Bones' office and he kind of gives her the lowdown mm-hmm. on the case. And something that they show really, really early on, which they've already shown in previous episodes, mm-hmm. like, um, 
what was the episode? Uh, was it the a boy in a? Are you talking about bush? like their bond or how they respect each other? No. So oh, I'm trying to remember what episode it was. So the episode where they were going to go to the banquet. Oh, that episode. What episode was that? Eh, probably like three. I think episode three, three or two. Was it no was three? Was it a boy in a bush? It might have been a boy in a tree. A boy in a tree. It was boy in a tree. Yes, a boy, a boy in a tree. Yep. So the thing that it reminds me of in that episode is no, it was a boy in a bush because bones. Have have we done boy in a bush? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. I thought boy in a bush was episode five. It was. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Girl, this is episode seven. It'd be like that. I'm like, so, yeah. I'm getting my episode. It's because it's a boy. You got to train a bush. They're both green. Okay. They're both green. I spy something green. Okay. They come right after each other, too. So, like, it's three is a boy in a a tree and four is a boy in a bush. No, four is the man... uh, man and a bear and a five um, is a yeah bush. we should not continue this okay so yeah. anyways my point god was, in the episode of a boy in a bush bones makes the promise to the foster kid and basically yes, trusts that, that booth isn't gonna make a liar out of her mm-hmm. right so it just reminds me of how um she said to him that she won't respect the rules but she'll respect she won't respect the law but she'll respect booth which is so, so sweet she just should she'll do anything for him so mm-hmm. he comes to her on a weekend and he's asking for a favor for Personal favor for the defense attorney and she's like i won't do it to the defense attorney but i'll do it for you mm-hmm. so if it's a personal favor for you then i will work this weekend because he's trying to say that the favor is for amy and she goes no because technically the favor would be for you for amy and mm-hmm. i would do it for you mm-hmm. so they they really lay it on thick within the first seven episodes that bones and booth have a special bond Yes, yes. Where she respects him wholeheartedly. Regardless of whatever he thinks or his mood or his theories, mm-hmm. she respects him too. Or her ass. sass. Or her sass. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so they start looking at the evidence. Mm-hmm. The gang finds some foreign matter in the x-rays, maybe some defensive impacts on the bones. Bones sends Zach to the park where April was found to look yep. for particulates and Mm -hmm. take some photos Mm -hmm. and booth is still convinced that epps is guilty so am i Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he still wants to be certain so he wants them to look at the evidence yeah i mean he tells him he goes all right go for it because even bones asks him like do you still want us to keep going and Mm -hmm. you know he said okay go for it Mm -hmm. i love though so when the scene opens up Hodgins is just giving random facts on different torture methods. <laughs> yes. And I love how, like, depending on the situation, he has a different fact. I love On him. some kind of horrific trivia. I love him. I just connect to him on knowing random stuff. Yeah. That's, um, that's pretty much pig in a nutshell. <laughs> that <laughs> and song lyrics. Yes. Like, whatever you say, she'll link it to some song lyrics. Mm-hmm. Song, li- uh, I speak in song lyrics, movie quotes. TV mm-hmm. quotes. 
random vines and tiktoks i remember in earlier days we realized her big inspirations was like steve from blues clues we're like whoa where did this come i still love steve gosh we do big inspiration in our life great guy yes fabulous (laughs) great dog great dog you know what chef's kiss to the dog blue doesn't get doesn't get enough credit here all of us she older really generation doesn't. are still remembering Steve, but you got to remember Blue. Always remember Blue. Always remember Blue. Mm-hmm. So this episode is very evidence heavy. Oh, so yeah. we'll try to give our best commentary <laughs> and we apologize if most of it is just simping over Booth. We apologize in advance. Yes. We are creating segments called Simp and Spoons, so be prepared because there will yeah. be a lot of that in we're this gonna try to, We're <laughs> going to try to police ourselves, okay, so that we're not absolutely horrendous, but we we can't help it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, don't don't shoot Panda, but I started watching Buffy, the Vampire yeah. Slayer, and your girl has fallen in love with David Boreanaz all over again. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so happy. like... Oh my gosh, all I want to see is Angel this entire time. Like, this moment makes me so happy, because when we started recording this podcast, you had only heard of them, and you had not seen Buff the Vampire Slayer or Angel, and I was about to cry. But I knew all the actors. I've seen these actors, and, you know, I kind of got curious, and I was like, you know what? Okay, what's all the fuss about? Why is all these actors coming from these shows? Let me see. And... (laughs) I kind of got her. Now she's 11 episodes deep in dreaming about it. I'm, oh, God. What am I doing with myself? <laughs> <laughs> so Zach goes to the park to go look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes some photos, and he kind of sees a pattern from the numbers around the park. Especially because he has photo Was it he, photogenic memory? A photogenic memory. memory. Yes. So he goes back to the lab, and Angela's there with her date, because Bones has called her in. Her yeah. date is Troy. <laughs> Zach, um, Zach calls Hodgins to let him know about the code that he found, and they realize that it's a date and directions to the park, um, meaning that she was going to meet someone there. This It was from the random number that they had found with the evidence. The police originally thought it was a phone number, but it looks like it was kind of a riddle. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I thought it was too long to be a phone number, but okay. <laughs> I agree. Is... That, you know, I didn't count the numbers. I didn't either, but to me, first glance, it did look like a lot of numbers. I think it's because it started with a one, maybe. Possibly. The illusion. The illusion. But they said it was a number to a woman in a nursing home. So, um, I don't you know. know. That was kind of their <laughs> thing. But, like, uh, Troy, Angela's date, he seems so confused as to what everybody's jobs are. <laughs> and so he talks to Hodgins a little bit. He even yeah. Hodgins even tells him what they do. I know. And sends him away. Yeah. Like, ugh. Well, but Angela sends him away. To Angela the lounge. sends him away. She goes, come on, baby. Go wait in the, go wait in the lounge. Go up the I stairs look. over there. Don't talk to me. No. <laughs> So he looks Troy's so airheaded. Like he looks like he's asleep. What? Like he's he looks like he's half awake, you know, but also like you maybe he has stoned, trouble seeing. Maybe, maybe stoned, but he's maybe just he's he just doesn't seem like he's all there, his character. He just kind of looking around like 
Where like am I? Like a bumbling I? idiot. That's okay. Yeah. Maybe he's stoned. I don't know. He's clearly just her boy toy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. But I but I love how she talks to him. She's like, okay, sweetie, like, over there, it's just up the stairs. Okay, hon? Yeah. Don't talk to anyone. Yeah. Don't talk to anyone. <laughs> just, you know, keep to yourself. Yup. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. Mm, I hate I hate Troy. But he gets he gets a good laugh out of me. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I Definitely. do have thoughts about him in this scene. Later though. on. <laughs> no, not even later on. This scene. This scene? Like, okay, what are your thoughts? Because I was Tell like, me, dude, girl. can Angela even bring him in? Like, what oh, the yeah. heck? Probably not. I was like, dude, you brought him in. Like, he's not on the platform, but can- he's literally just a random human that came in. Like, what? Huh? <gasps> I mean, I guess she, she's vouching for him. I guess so. And she sends him to the lounge. Yeah, whatever. whatever but later in that scene like bones finds like a little bone shard on the clothing Mm -hmm. that was missed in the original investigation yes and my first thought was look at that another shot again at the fbi forensics team because when she finds it it's an organic mineral Mm -hmm. and apparently um bones is like well how did they miss that and hodgins is like they're not as good as we are (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, well, damn, this is what I mean. You just throw them under the bus. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a constant superiority battle. Yes, it really is. And as this is happening, you see um, Zach comes running in. Yes. And he starts screaming and talking like, oh, my gosh, like out of excitement. Because, because he solved the, the, yes, the mystery. Because of the numbers. And that's mm-hmm. when they bring up how he is. You know, it's because of his photogenic memory. He realized what the numbers meant, and he just spoke so fast out of excitement, but <laughs> it was just the cutest thing. And my it was first, adorable. It really was. And my first thought was like, you know, I kind of feel that because, you know, in general, you know when your brain is thinking so fast that your mouth doesn't move fast enough? That's every day of my life. <laughs> yes. That's how I felt. The only difference is Zach was just talking really quickly. It's just... You know, excitement. The words were coming out, just probably not in the order he meant it to be. <laughs> mm, but when I try to speak, it it comes out like blah, 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 blah. like no. I I just <laughs> apparently I can't. I just I can't. <laughs> what oh are my words? Gosh. Right, <laughs> right. So, um, the next scene shows up where oh, and Hodgins just realized that the the was it the mineral that they found? Oh yeah, they found gravel. Yeah. They realized that the victim was killed at a separate location, yes. so they so, need to re-examine the remains. Mm-hmm. So that is something that is enough to further their investigation, Sad face. giving them kind of reasonable doubt as to whether Epps may have not killed April Wright. Yeah, pretty much. And that sucks. So the they go, scene. yes, so Booth goes to speak with april's parents Mm -hmm. and their attorney yeah um we learned that (laughs) that april wanted to be a lawyer and that she had worked with the family's attorney david ross on the weekends um and keep in mind he has a wife and kids like so basically the the whole point of this scene is we figure out that David is probably the one who left the pubic hair. Because yeah. when, it's the way he starts talking to Booth. He yes. starts, it's like 
was it? Like an alarm goes off in the head. Yeah. Like, red so flag, Booth, red flag. <laughs> so Booth gets a call from Amy and Bones while he's meeting with the parents, and they let Booth know that they're going to go see the judge about getting an exhumation order to see April's body. Because they so be- jacked up. Yes. So the parents are kind of distraught. David Ross sends them out of the room to talk to Booth in private. Mm-hmm. And Booth says something along the lines of, you know, they found the pubic hair. And the pubic hair isn't new evidence. It's just always been dismissed because it hasn't been linked to anybody. Right. And they didn't see it as sufficient. Right. So... You know, Booth says something along the lines of, well, we should find the guy who it belongs to and I'll answer some of these questions. And David Ross says, sex in a car. Well, he first he says, like, you know, can you link it to someone, basically? Mm -hmm. And, you know, could that put them in jail type of thing? And that's when they talked about, oh, you know, it was just sex in a car. It was probably like with a teenager, blah, blah, blah. You could never know. That's when he brings that up. And Booth is like, I never said anything about a car. Yep. And he's like, oh, well, uh, d- uh, it's in a parking, parking lot. lot. So, uh. Obviously, <laughs> it's in a car. Basically, revealing that he's the secret lover. He's totally sus. <laughs> and mind you, he's probably her father's age. And yeah. like we said, married with kids. Mm-hmm. Now, here I will get on a little bit of tangent of how I feel when it comes to age gap relationships. Oh, okay. Okay. Because clearly, like... Okay, we're going there. April probably didn't view this as just a hookup. She, she was 17. She admired this guy, right? So to 17. her, it was probably a relationship. Oh, yeah. So, Especially when you're younger... You definitely will be like, older man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it all depends on how old the youngest person in the relationship is. Really? Because, because like, for example, my, my thoughts are if the youngest person is like 12, right? Ew. And the other person is 14. That yeah. sounds gross, right? Yeah, but in all reality, that's only two years. And it makes sense because, you know, they're still technically children. Right. But if someone Even is, though technically the 14 is a te- considered right. a teenager. But if one person is 22 and the other person is 24, not gross, right? No. Because the younger person is at an age to where they can better understand the relationship, right? You know, of age. Right. So <laughs> then let's unquote, say someone, <laughs> let's say somebody is 10 and then the other person is 20. Gross. Yikes. But then let's say somebody's 30 and the other and person is 20. 40. Or, yeah, 30 and 40. I was thinking 20 and 30. Yeah, or even 20 yeah. and 30. To me, it's like it's a lot of the research, and I don't have the numbers here, so take this with a grain of salt. But I, uh, I watched this um, therapist online. Oh, I can't remember his name, but his channel is called um, Psychology in Seattle, okay. and he's a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And he talks about the statistics of age gap relationships mm-hmm. and how they can be, on average, very successful. Um, and it has nothing to do with, and, you know, it's not looked as something that could hold them back in their relationship. It's just another variable, another difference that other people might have. So 
So to me, it just depends on how old the youngest person is. If the youngest person is mature enough and old enough to understand the relationship and what it means, then I don't think it's a big deal. But I think the problem here is, is when the person is really young and the other person is really old, it's just gross. Yeah. Like 17 and this dude's probably in his 40s. Yeah. Like, what and could he... virgin. <laughs> Like, what could he possibly be getting out of this relationship beyond just... A hot piece of ass. Yeah. But also, like, think of 17-year-olds. They're babies. Yeah, like, 17 until they year turn olds... 18, then all of a sudden they're an adult. Yeah. And just because they're legally an adult, I still don't think it's right. I don't I mean, think they're adults either. 17-year-olds don't look like they do in the movies. 17-year-olds, they look like babies. Except for nowadays. Yeah, I but don't that, understand. But that's what only is going in pictures on. and stuff. Not even just pictures. I've seen them. It's very yeah. strange. They're dressing up even older, and I'm like, stop it. Yes, stop, stop it. Stop that foolishness. Stop so, anyways, it. that's my that's my side tangent. Yeah, I mean it's valid. I think it's just not only based on like the younger. I feel like it's more like the younger person's maturity in general. Yeah, that too. I like, think it, they both puberty. Go hand in hand. Like, did puberty hit? What is their maturity level? Do they literally, do they really understand what's going on and what it means to be in a relationship with someone who is, you know, twice your age? Because I can tell you at 15, I probably thought it would have been super sexy to be with some 30-year-old man or whatever. However, you probably didn't even know what was going on. Yes, but now looking back, obviously in hindsight, I would not have been mentally prepared for that relationship. But at 15... Could I hold a pretty good, mature conversation with a 30-year-old? Yeah. But does that mean that I was mature enough for an adult relationship? No. To me, I feel like if that situation happened to where you did end up in a relationship, it's more of like the immaturity of the older person. Because, mm. yeah, you have the younger one who is That's mature, but it also says a lot about the immaturity, about whoever is twice the age or something. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they somehow relate more to someone who mm. is way younger to yeah. them for some odd reason. Yeah. But, you know, it happens. Maturity or their pedophilic tendencies. It, yeah, that's very yeah. possible. But if they are technically, quote-unquote, legal, then, you know, usually it's... I feel like it's based more on maturity and mm-hmm. mutual understanding, consent. But mm-hmm. obviously when you're younger, below legal age, I kind of doubt there's yeah. really legitimate consent in my opinion. I agree. But it'd be like that sometimes. Yeah. So in this situation, I feel like he's gross. Oh, and, and he's not even cute. No, they're ne- they never are. Never a cute senator <laughs> and never a cute older affair. Back to episode one, guys. Back, back to square one. Yes. Never a hottie. No. Then I could at least understand. But you know what? Yeah. <laughs> treat yourself. Treat yourself. But yeah, oh, he's gross yeah. in this one, and I don't... Mm, I I don't like him. You, I don't but, like him, and I also don't like the fact that... I don't know. To me, I just feel bad for the family in general because I'm just like the concept of, you know, exhuming a body that's already been buried, especially mm-hmm. when the victim was murdered. That's just so messed up. Yeah. So it's messed rough. up. Because I asked Pig earlier, I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. What if the family said no? But apparently it's not their say. I mean, I think they do kind of have a say, but ultimately, like, if the judge, you Bulls know. It approves it then and 
the judge approves it. That sucks. Like, I feel like this does actually happen in real life, and it's really unfortunate. Like, let Mm -hmm. them rest in peace, yo. Yeah, but also at the same time... You know, if someone is innocent, you need that evidence. Yeah, and... It's It's just the idea of exhuming someone's body already put to rest. It's just sloppy to me on the mm-hmm. forensic team side and just in general very inconsiderate for the family and for the dead yeah it's very true wrong. true in my opinion obviously though but so yeah, on the way sticky situation yeah on the way for bones and amy to go get the exhumation order oh god <laughs> they're in the car and they kind of have a conversation basically Amy's got it hot for Booth, but feels Don't like she's all. missed her opportunity. <laughs> you set that up. What do you want me to do? I, you know. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? do? And of course, Bones is clearly not picking she's up what she's laying it. down. Nope. And, um. Dude. Interesting, though. I feel like, I feel like Booth has attraction first, obviously, by how he looks at her and the little glances that we notice now. So but um cute. I think Bones feels more for him than she lets on mm-hmm. at a very earlier stage. I agree. I definitely believe that. She's very defensive Always. against any kind of implication that Booth might be attractive. Oh yeah. But also she's fiercely loyal to him. And anything that he wants her to do. And she's oddly invested and critical of his personal life. I feel like she's always been into him since day one. I mean, mm-hmm. she literally told him she could be a duck for him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and it was obvious that Booth was always into Bones ever since the beginning. Oh, that was totally obvious. Obviously, But, dude, you already know what I'm going to bring up about Amy. <laughs> This girl is, she literally is so upfront with Bones. Like, hey, I'm picking up a sex vibe between you and Booth. Like, dude, like, pig, I don't know about you, but do you just go up to people you barely know and be like, hey, I'm picking up a sex vibe? Like, no, is that who we are? No. I barely talk to people I barely know. (sighs) It'd be funny if people actually really do this. Well, let's do it. Let's Stop. go to Walmart tomorrow. Why are you like this? Let's do it. You know how um, no. wild and fancy free I am and how likely I am to talk to strangers? Let's do it. Let's go up to a stranger and ask them if we've got a sex vibe. I'm going to just poke them with a stick and run. Enjoy. You do You do that. You do mm-hmm. that. You can. You <laughs> yeah, because we both Let know, know it's highly likely. Oh, yeah. Highly <laughs> likely. I'm a very outgoing person. Totally. Totally. Very. (laughs) But yes, it was very weird for her to bring that up. Yes. It was kind of an awkward conversation. Incredibly. But, you know, as Alice, she even asks, like, Bones, like, do you think, like, Booth is hot? And Bones is like, no, not at all. And here we are like, (laughs) nah, 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 nah. He's not hot. He's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, you're right, Bones. You're right. You're right. Something that. Something that we were that we were saying. You know, my brain works faster than than my the mechanics of my mouth. It's okay. So, um, I was watching 
the episodes with my sister mm-hmm. and we just keep pausing and rewinding because we're noticing these little things, uh, subtle acting things that Booth does or that the other characters do. Mm-hmm. And I realize it's just so fun doing this <laughs> because you're analyzing the episode. So obviously you're looking for details and interesting things, right. but it's like you're picking up things you didn't see before. <laughs> yeah. And it's so fun than when you're just casually watching it. Oh, yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, it adds a whole new experience to it. We've watched Bones like from beginning to end how many times? Mm-hmm. Well, you just went to the end, but I know it still counts how many times you watched. Yes, and it's like we never caught certain things like you yeah. know what we've been catching, and it's just like whoa. And interesting enough, I would probably my the main seasons I would rewatch over and over again were like. One through four, mm-hmm. probably, especially one through three. I would rewatch those all the time. Hmm. You know. I think mine were usually three to five. Three to five, really? I don't remember why. I think it was just a three had a very special place for me. Mm-hmm. Season three, I think. Mm-hmm. But then, or, yeah. yeah. It also just depends for me on, like, maybe even specific episodes. Or what I feel like. Like, do I feel like seeing who's together and who's not together? Or mm. it kind of along those vibes. There are certain episodes I avoid to protect my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll <laughs> let you guys know when we get there. <laughs> so, Booth, so Booth ends up having a conversation with his boss about reinvestigating the case. He kind of gets chewed out. And um, he his explanation to his boss is he's trying to tie up loose ends. Um regarding the potential involvement of david ross mm-hmm. you know don't you like there's another david <laughs> yeah so many davids always characters david but it's not booth whose name is literally david warianas so. true and you know what i didn't even think about that <laughs> this is true that's all i think about <laughs> yeah i didn't really have any thoughts about this scene did you for the when he's getting his ass chewed out yeah the only thing i thought about was like do you think they can really suspend Booth for freelancing on a death penalty case they cleared seven years ago? Mm. Like, can they really suspend Booth? Like, I, I feel like it's possible. Because I mean, I'm like, dude, you kind of went out of, you know, you just kind of went out of your boss's thing and just if, did your own thing, mm-hmm. you know? If he's given, like, a direct order to not look into it and he continues to, he could get reprimanded, whether it's getting suspended or not. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. Yeah. That was the only thing I really kind of thought about, but other than yeah. that, no. Yeah. yeah. We can move on to the judge. Mm-hmm. So, Bones and Amy meet Judge Cohen at his home in the wee hours of the morning. It was one in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they basically tell him why they want to exhume the body, that they want to investigate these shadows and the potential particulates that could be there. On and, the x-ray that mm-hmm. they were showing him. Yep. And the judge agrees to sign the order. He was not very agreeing at first. No. They eventually did it. But, you know, eventually. Yeah. Movie magic. Story yeah. purposes. It'd be like that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, then, so then at the lab, um, 
after it's been signed, oh they bring gosh. the bodies there. Let's see. Yo. <laughs> Bones, Angela, and Amy are looking at some press footage of Howard Epps talking about how he's innocent. And April is all like, yep, I totally believe him. I, I believe don't. he didn't do it. I believe he did do it. <laughs> and so they go out to go look at the body and uh, Bones is looking at April like, you probably shouldn't go out Amy. there. Amy. 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 Well, they're they're looking at April, but she lets Amy know prior to that she probably shouldn't go out and see the body because it's going to be Because she already came up and she's like, oh, oh, oh. And she mm-hmm. goes, yeah, you should probably stay back. Uh-huh. And from up in the lounge. Troy. Our boy Troy. Our boy Troy is looking. Troy boy. <laughs> Troy Boy is looking over the balcony, and boy toy named Troy. <laughs> yeah, Troy Boy toy named Troy. He he gives his Oscar worthy performance of of looking down and seeing the body and realizing that Angela may not be the kind of artist that he thought she was, and he's like, "You're not an artist." You're a freak. You all you people are freaks. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god. Okay, I'm sir." I like Troy the little bitch boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically Hodgins told him exactly what mm. she does and he just does not know big words cuz yeah. boy Troy is a toy. Yeah. <laughs> That's his loss cuz Angela's a baddie. Oh yeah, for sure. She yeah. a damn piece. <laughs> And Booth, um, Booth comes in in the middle of this because he got approved for a search warrant at David Ross's home and they grab his underwear and he gives it to the gang to see if the pubic hair matches mm-hmm. and it's a visual match, but DNA is not going to be available for another 10 days, which doesn't bode well for stopping you know, they the have execution. less than 30 hours for this execution. So. Yeah. 10 not great no um something that's kind of talked about in the scene is that whether or not they should continue or try harder Mm -hmm. and amy's kind of push booth like oh she say something she is pushing she's like if you say something to the judge he's gonna he's gonna listen to you yeah and bones is like have you changed your mind like she's literally considering booth first like Mm -hmm. how what are you thinking Mm -hmm. like i don't think anything's changed and the problem that i have with this is um bones has the right idea there's some weird things about the evidence, and she's following the evidence to find the truth. Amy is looking for the evidence to align with her belief her belief of what she wants to be true. Yep. So the fact that she keeps pushing Booth harder and harder on this... Because she wants to be right. Because she wants to be right, and she wants to... I mean, it's noble that she doesn't want eps to die every relationship ever (laughs) Mm -hmm. but ultimately it's this mindset that she has that gets her to where she is at the end of the episode yep Mm -hmm. so they go to the judge to have a conversation because booth Booth is like to go see the judge because while booth still thinks eps is guilty he thinks there's doubt and he doesn't think there should be any doubt he needs to know without a doubt that he made the right arrest that day right so now, 20 hours away from the execution, 
they're in the judge's kitchen and they're discussing the evidence mm-hmm. and how, you know, the DNA won't be ready for 10 days. And the judge relies heavily on Booth's opinion. Yep. That if they don't have any clear evidence, he's not granting a stay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's... I like the judge, to be honest. Yeah, I me actually too. like his thoughts, like, especially when Amy was just like, how could you dismiss this so easily, blah, 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 and the judge is like, um, excuse me, I let you exhume this victim's remains, mm-hmm. like, you guys don't have enough to stop the execution, like, I need evidence, and yeah. I'm just like, yeah. Shut her up. Yeah. Shut that mouth. He seems to be, the the characterize him as being pretty fair, mm-hmm. and he's not quick to just make these decisions. He really weighs them. He's not doing it just because Amy really, really, really wants Epps to be proven innocent. Yeah. You know, he's looking at all parts of it, which I like. Yeah. What got me to, there was two other things. One of the things is when um, he asked Bones, like the judge asked Bones, like, you know, what she got, they talk about, like, you know, the gravel, and he's like, you know, that could be any dirt or something, any gravel, mm-hmm. whatever, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, it's not like they can narrow it down or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, but they didn't. That's they didn't, the thing. yeah. But I'm talking about, you know, in general, usually they, m- most of the time, Hodgins is able to pull through, mm-hmm. but in this situation, they didn't. But even so... um, I don't, maybe it couldn't have been, it didn't have to be that they didn't follow through. It could be that this gravel is just common in a lot of different areas. It's so possible. it wouldn't have helped. Yeah, I mean, it was parking lots. So it's probably gravel parking lot, you know. Mm, true. But um, the best thing about the scene, though, is um, the little smirk Booth gives Bones after he threatens the assistant U.S. attorney. Like, it's so cute. It's like a split second. Mm-hmm. He looks at the guy, threatens him, and he, because he's saying, like, you know, I don't mind knocking you out in front of the judge. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But then he looks down at Bones, and he gives her, like, this little smile. And I was just like, that was so cute. The more I analyze these episodes, and I have the same thoughts about the next episode, mm-hmm. um... The more I just really enjoy David Boreanaz's acting. Oh, I love his acting. And just the little, the little breadcrumbs that he leaves in between scenes is just absolutely hilarious and adorable. It's the way he carries himself, too. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Even when in Buffy, I was just like, he carries his character very He's got well. Swag. He does. Like, oh my gosh, can I have some of that water? Please. <laughs> I'm over here thirsty. I'm parched. Uh, it's okay. We sipping and suiting. Y'all I told you it was going to happen. We told you. Did so, we not tell you? <laughs> so we take our man into the car with uh, Bones Amy and Amy. And Bones, yeah. They're there too. Um, they're feeling kind of distraught at yeah. what happened. And yeah. they kind of talk about... You know, the, the death, death penalty. penalty. Amy is staunchly against it, and Bones is for it, and Booth is silently driving, not wanting to have a political discussion. Nope. But, you know, Bones stands her ground, and she talks about why she's for the death penalty, and Amy's like, how could you say that, blah, 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 and Bones is like, I have been through shit. <laughs> yeah. What's, <laughs> like, cr- what's crazy to me is, like, um, 
Bones, to me, doesn't seem like a character that would be in favor of the death penalty. Nope. But based on what she said, it makes a lot of sense when she Mm -hmm. talks about how she does believe there are certain people who should not be alive Mm -hmm. based on what she's seen they've done Mm -hmm. to a lot of victims. Like, it was, Mm -hmm. um, it was quite a bit, and I... But as she was doing this, dude, I'm just like, girl, put your seatbelt on, your imaginary <laughs> seatbelt on behind, in front of this green screen before you end up dead, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you talking about the death penalty, about to be dead. Have you ever thought about the death penalty and what you think about it? I do. I remember. We talked about it when we were way back in school. You mm-hmm. had to do um, a, a presentation. On it. Mm-hmm. And I remember you were very passionate. And I was actually... It made sense. I understood. You know, and here's the unique thing. Did you ever change your mind? I have. Really? Uh, when I was younger, mm-hmm. I was very, very for it. Yes, you were. I was very, very for it. Incredibly for it. Mm-hmm. I was half and half because, you know, I'm the biggest thing that got me was the whole, you know, what if it's the wrong person? Mm-hmm. That could happen. Yeah. What changed your mind? Honestly, um, just kind of looking at my values and seeing that um it didn't cooperate with what i believe so initially my thoughts were like okay this you know this person is so evil and usually i would my mind would go to serial killers and yeah. things like that mm-hmm. people who had just committed the most horrible acts so when there's practicality mm-hmm. it costs more to keep someone on death row for 20 years um, and they may die before they even get executed because of how many appeals they get. Yeah. So, like, the cost on society. And at first my thought was, like, um, it's not a deterrent because statistics have shown that it doesn't prevent people. My thought was incapacitation. Mm-hmm. So, basically, preventing someone from hurting, from re-victimizing other people. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... My thought about it now is that if I if I think of myself as somebody who believes that all life is inherently valuable and I don't have a place to take someone else's life unless mm-hmm. it's in self-defense, mm-hmm. then I shouldn't think of it as that even for the most heinous of criminals. Interesting. You know. I'm more along the lines of like, you know, I'm... Obviously, I don't really care as much because I'm not the one, you know, doing the execution. But it's, like, more along the lines of I I get that all life is valuable. But at the same time, people are also very capable of great evil. Mm-hmm. And it's those people that if you're if you are able to catch those people who are capable of that great evil... And yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, if life doesn't kill them first or someone, a third party kills them first, then yeah, I mean, if you think that it's justified to do the death penalty, but at that point, I just feel like it's a lot more work than needed because even if they were in jail, I feel like someone would murder them at that point if they really felt like it. The main thing for you is it doesn't seem practical. You know, it's kind of, yeah. Like, I feel like it makes sense, but it's like, at that point, I'm like... If they really did something incredibly bad, you don't think someone would get justice before the law gets to them? Yeah, jailhouse justice is satisfying. Um, but I think the thing, the main thing that changed for me is I don't think 
that we should be able to dictate someone's life based on their wrongs. Yeah. Even though it's especially because it's a jury that's deciding your fate. And I think the thing that sucks is, is that there, there's, it's not, it doesn't feel like an equal punishment for maybe somebody else taking somebody else's life. There's a lot of people who think both. Some people will think like, you know, it's equal because a death for a death, eye for an eye. But Mm -hmm. other people are like, no, I want you to rot in jail. Mm-hmm. Like, I need you to not see the light of day yeah. type of situation, The you know? thing is I don't, hmm, I can't, I, I can't believe in an eye for an eye. So I think that's why I changed my mind about it, which is very weird because I was a thousand percent for it. I wrote papers and oh, I yeah, was very definitely. passionate about it. And now I just, I don't think it aligns with all of my other beliefs. So I feel like I need to be consistent. I think... Yeah. I mean, for you, it makes sense. For me, it's more based on, like, what is the situation? Otherwise, I don't really care as much because it's Mm -hmm. not like I have the power to do anything about it. But in the grand scheme of things, if I did, what is the situation? Yeah. I'd want to know the details. My moral brain and my animal brain. My vengeance brain, maybe, and then my, you know, my my moral compass. (laughs) Which makes sense. Is what's fighting at it. But I can't say that I... I wouldn't find some satisfaction in an evil person, yeah. you know, being taken down. Well, that's kind of cool. You changed your mind, though. It's, it's interesting. interesting. <laughs> jinx. <laughs> jinx. Personal jinx. We told y'all we were on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. I wasn't kidding. So they... Um, <laughs> I feel like death over here. <laughs> Hello, <Hi>. death. <laughs> Hello, darkness. <laughs> My old friend. <laughs> um... So, looking at the bone cracks for particulates, they find little... Oh, wait, wait, wait. In the car, did you catch that after Bones was defending this death penalty, Booth gave, like, a little look as, like, because he looked at Amy, but then he looked at Bones. Like, this is after she talked about it and they, the girls had their talk. He looked at Amy, but then he looked at Bones and he gave, like, this kind of look, like a little smile or something. Like, this, he had this look and I was just like... Ah, man, girl, like so. Are we calling this episode Booth and his fleeting glances? Booth and glance, Booth glances, (laughs) whatever. I mean, it's that, and you also have Bones being very emotional in this episode. Did you notice? She's incredibly in her feels. I don't know if it's for whatever reason. Did you ever figure out who was the writers for this one? Because I I forgot to look them up. I can pull it up for you. You should check it out because I was just like, dude. Her, she's in her feels, and I don't know if it's because she's still salty. She did get approved for her gun in the beginning, <laughs> so maybe she's just still emotionally, like, so, unstable. <laughs> so, new writer and director, so directed by David Jones and written by Look, another Noah, David. <laughs> written by Noah Hawley. Hmm. So, new names. David what? David something and Noah Holly. David Jones. David Jones mm-hmm. and Noah Holly. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. All right, all right. Yes, Lit. ma'am. All right. Now you can talk about the next scene. That okay. was just something I want to talk about. This is little glances. <laughs> so from looking in the bone cracks, they find pollen particles, mm-hmm. which help them locate the true crime scene. Which is wild. Mm-hmm. They determined that April was killed 
in a marsh near mm. a chemical plant. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Don't you think it was kind of cool how they blew it up on the angelator, the yes. giant pollen? I'm like, unnecessary, but cool. But like, visually entertaining. Yeah. I liked it. Movie magic. Movie magic. It's lit. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. So now we move to the interrogation room mm-hmm. where we further learn that Booth has no other interrogation style beyond <laughs> making accusing statements. He doesn't. <laughs> he has no other tactics. No, no, he does not. Except for painting the story and calling them out. It's hilarious, dude. Yeah, I pointed it out to her and she'll never be the same. I will not. I was like, yo, you are not wrong. (laughs) Just like the whole not supposed to read your Miranda rights when you get arrested. Oh, did I mess you up with that? Every movie I watch, tainted. (laughs) I mean, you can do it, but it's just not realistic that you would. That's what I mean. All these movies, tainted. Mm -hmm. Actually, it reminds me of... um, the Nancy Drew movie with Emma Roberts. Oh my gosh, I love that So, movie. like, I think it's the beginning scene where I think Bruce Willis is pretending to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And he's an actor playing an actor. And they're doing a scene from an old 1940s movies where he's arresting somebody and gives them their Miranda rights. Mm-hmm. And then Nancy Drew corrects them, saying that the Miranda rights were not... Um, put into law until was it the 60s i think so i think it was the 60s so she corrects them saying that for the time period they'd be inaccurate for giving the miranda warning and then while and then while i'm watching it i'm like um and excuse me nancy drew you would be also inaccurate for providing the miranda warning upon exact moment of custody yeah just I mean, saying. I mean, she is still in school. She was young. Lee. Yeah, but anyways, but, you know, that's you know that's just all. what that reminds me of. She was being a know-it-all. Mm-hmm. So, fun yeah. tidbit. <laughs> so, in the interrogation, <laughs> Booth is doing his thing and trying to get Ross to admit to sleeping with April, and he does by um, stating statements. He said that they just wanted that he just went there to talk, but they had sex and it was her first time and she was upset and ran off. He said he waited there for two hours but left after two AM. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. So when he says, this part just gets me so boiled, obviously, for what we talked about before, is he's like, I didn't know it was her first time. Yo! Even if it wasn't her first time. Still do. And I'm saying this with my fist clenched. She was 17. Did he honestly think it wouldn't be a big deal to her, considering the fact that she saw him as... Uh, as a role, role model, model, as a mentor, he's her godfather. He didn't think it would be a big deal to her to sleep with her godfather. I forgot that that was her godfather. So it makes it even worse because it's like, dude, you've known her since she was a baby. Then, so it's like, honey, did you? How many boyfriends did she have? Did you just assume like, oh yeah, you know, she hangs, hangs, blah blah blah? It's like at. Still, doesn't matter whether she was a virgin or not. Like, dude. He, he paints himself as a victim. He's like, I shouldn't have got pulled in. I made a mistake. No. No, 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 no. You did this to yourself. You did this. You went to the dark side. <laughs> it's your 
Bolt. You're fired. You're fired. He's absolutely fired. <laughs> a thousand percent fired. Get him out of here. Cancel. Cancel. Goodbye. Excuse me, Dave Goodbye. Ross. We're moving Take on. Away. Moving on. You know why? What? He has Ross in his name. He has Ross in his name? <laughs> I love Ross and friends, guys, but he can be incredibly annoying. I'm sorry. Yeah. When I when I make my tier list for my favorite friends characters, he he's not at the top. He's not. I'm sorry, y'all, but no. he, he ain't. I love Ross in general. He has his moments, don't get me wrong, but he's not at the top of my list. My favorite thing about Ross is those YouTube videos where people edit clips of Ross having inner monologue, but then oh, removing gosh. the audio for the inner monologue. And you just see his face. Uh, or when they m- remove the laugh track. Oh, comedy that's gold. When, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Oh my gosh, those are hilarious because then so it just good. seems like a horror movie. <laughs> so good. Anyways, so we're four hours away from Epsons. Four hours. <laughs> yeah, four hours away. Did I say that wrong? I thought you said 40, so I'm like, hold on, wait, did I hear this wrong? I'm just going to say four hours just in case you said 40. I'm pretty sure I said four hours, okay. but let's be honest here. Anything <laughs> is possible. Anything is possible If you here. just believe. <laughs> so four hours away from Epps's execution. Um, execution. We're on the countdown. Um, Beep. They Beep. clue in Beep. Booth's boss Beep. on the information they have so far, and they're requesting permission to search in the new location for the murder weapon, some equipment, and some extra hands to help look for the murder weapon. Yeah. And they're granted it, as long as Bones doesn't get a gun. He could have just said no. He didn't yeah. have to say yes. But, well, you know, the next scene, it's like, okay, I guess. So, I guess it had to happen. Whatever. So now we go to um, the location. They're searching everywhere. They clue in the squints that, um, you know, they got permission. The squints are using the tech to help them find the exact location of the murder mm-hmm. weapon. So the FBI, Bones, and Booth arrive at the marsh. They're using GPR and metal detectors. Yep. We don't know what GPR stands for. I but I know what it, it looks beforehand. like. <laughs> I should have looked it up beforehand. I'm a failure. It's but okay. <laughs> We saw what it looks like. If you watched the episode, you know mm-hmm. exactly what it looks like. It looks like a lawnmower. Exactly. My idea of it is I think it... Like, somehow it's able to see through the dirt. I think it sees the different levels of the dirt to see, like, if there's something, you know, yeah. there's like a, what is it? Like a, like a unstable amount of ground, I guess, is my words. Mm-hmm. It's not right words, but along yeah. those lines. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're hoping to find the tire iron, and they do very easily. Like, watching the actor's conduct this search is really funny because you see some of them like picking up and looking under leaves yes i thought of that too like (laughs) yo what you think was under that leaf (laughs) i don't know man and then when they find the tire iron it's like they just brush some some dirt away from it and they're like we got it so they also using the gpr they find two additional bodies that have been dead for at least five years but very well could easily come from when Howard Epps was free. But this is after uh, Bones is, re- is about to yell for a shovel, but Booth oh, yeah. is like, no, I'm yelling for the shovel. Mm, let him, <laughs> let him yell for a shovel. I was like, all right, you want to yell for a shovel? But she gets mad. You see her eye rolls like, 
Yo, I could have yelled for the shovel. Like, bruh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now that they found these two bodies, Mm -hmm. they've essentially determined that Howard Epps is a serial killer. Yeah, and he plotted that. So you could obviously see how Booth and Bones are distraught because Booth is like, I can make this call. Or I could wait 30 minutes and then Epps will be dead Mm -hmm. and we don't have to deal with this. But Bones is like, these new victims need just as much justice. Yeah, because if he makes the call, that means Epps does not get executed and he gets, was it, stand trial for the other two murders? Mm-hmm. So it means he lives longer. Yeah. Ultimately, it sucks. Yup. You know, but... They got played, yo. They got played, but but those those girls, like their families get to know what happened to them now they're the same around the same age too Mm -hmm. as april and they got killed the exact same way that she did so Mm -hmm. real similar yes so then they go confront mr howard epps Mm -hmm. um he kind of does his little reveal showing his true colors going from the timid southern uh scapegoat sad boy Sad boy to the conniving evil sociopath manipulative. Mm-hmm. So, um, he reveals that he read Bones's <laughs> book and kind of orchestrated the whole event to specifically have Bones on the case. Yeah, and um, he reaches out to shake Bones' hand, and she breaks it, which is lit. And that's when she's like, you know what, maybe I don't need a gun. And Booth is like, I'll give you mine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, hell. But, okay, my question, because maybe you know this, Pig, is like, Epps wants to keep using Amy because he's like, it looks like I got the right lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it doesn't seem like she wants to be his lawyer anymore. Can, you know, does she have to keep working for him? She does not. If she feels a conflict of interest or feels like she cannot um be his counsel Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to be even though she's a public defender they could assign someone else to the case but he would need a defense attorney in general okay or unless he decides to go pro se and defend himself Oh, mm-hmm. so <laughs> sounds like a was it a Ted Bundy? Mm-hmm. Yep. So oh yeah. Defense no, no, attorneys no. have a really hard job, and I think a lot of the times people. So we have an adversarial court system, right? Mm-hmm. The idea is that we've got the two sides duking it out because that competition is going to hopefully um, lead to people really trying hard and looking for the best evidence. That's the idea. That's the hope. Right. And so when people think of defense attorneys, they're like, how could you be a defense attorney even when you know your person is guilty? Well, it's like the defense attorney's sole goal is not to prove someone's innocence or to keep someone from being convicted of a crime. Their main goal, their sole purpose, is to make sure the rights of the defendant aren't violated. Look at that. Myths are being debunked right now. Yes. So, obviously, if, you know, the attorney and their client believe that they're innocent, of course they're going to try to prove their innocence. But the main goal, the top priority, is to make sure the defendant's rights aren't violated. Yeah, so that way they don't get stomped all over. Yeah. So, defense attorneys are super important. 
Because even if someone is guilty of a crime, Mm -hmm. their rights still should not be violated. Yeah. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Pikipedia. You're You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. They're important jobs, and... um, It's a hard job. It's a hard job. They're always misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can be difficult, especially if... The person is difficult. Has convict has actually done a heinous crime, and and maybe they don't get the sentence they deserve. But ultimately, the need for them is there. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> but I also, guess. bones breaking. Epps's hand was really satisfying. I was about to say that was incredibly <laughs> satisfying. It's an he's, iconic he's moment. Trying to shake her hand, and she just goes. Bam! Breaks it. Break that hand. Mm-hmm. And then, what was it she said? Are you going to charge me or arrest me or something? He right. Goes, and Booth is like, look, I, that looked like self-defense to me. I mean, technically, they could say that. <laughs> but you like how the the CO in the background He's didn't even move an inch? He didn't do shit. He did not flinch. He was just sitting there. It's like, oops. I was like, dude, that's it? You're just going to sit there and do that? All mm-hmm. right. I mean, more common than you think. Yeah. yeah we're so not go there. <laughs> so then they go um Bones and Booth, obviously they go to Wong Fu's mm-hmm. to hang out and they, they kind are of incredibly bummed out right yes, now. Hope. They, they kind of have a existential conversation about life and death yeah. and the weight of taking someone's life. Yeah. And, you know, you obviously see also Bones talks about how important Booth's thoughts are and how she validates how he feels mm-hmm. and how what he feels is important. Like, because yes. she gives, <laughs> again with the looks, he <laughs> gives her this look because she talks about how much she respects him, even when he has doubts. She right. respected his beliefs, his thoughts, and he just looks at her just smiles and i'm just like you would love when they're all ready <laughs> yeah uh and they are. we need to sit in our life just going to that going to a place they literally could just be like i know what you want today mm-hmm. let me get that for you like never been to a place before and just walk in i need i need this in my life Honestly, it would be my favorite restaurant. We So much business, yo. And see, so much business. They could still be diverse because he gave Booth pie. He gave him apple pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a cup of joe. So they could have kept it. See? They could have. Maybe Sid didn't want to be in the show no more. <sighs> Maybe. Maybe they didn't have the budget for it anymore. Maybe. <laughs> It'd be like that. True. <laughs> so... All right. Now, I guess that was the end of our commentary section yeah. of this episode. I hope we were entertaining enough because I know there this... wasn't too much going on in the personal lives and there were some really funny moments. It was so fact-based, though, y'all. Mm-hmm. Like, so much evidence. It was, I wouldn't say fact, evidence-based. Yes. Evidence-heavy. It's basically a Forensic Files episode. Yeah, but in, like, movie magic form. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, forensic files do have their movie magic moments with their reenactments. I love their reenactments. Me too. They it's have me dying. <laughs> but yeah. Well, let's move on. Are you ready? 
I guess so. Welcome to our mm-hmm. true crime segment. Mm-hmm. I do have a PowerPoint for this one. Oh, okay. Hold on. You're going to hear a couple click. Clicking, Episode 7. Clicking. Where is it? It's in the episode 7 folder. Okay. You see, like, how we're so organized? Mm-hmm. Okay, episode 7. Oh, I yeah. see you're here. Oh, you see me? I see you. I'm scared. Why do you see me? <laughs> I can see that you're here with me. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what's going on? Let's okay. go. So, our true crime I'm segment. Going to, <laughs> I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I'm not necessarily telling this case in chronological order because there are a lot of elements to it. Oh, So, please let me know if you get confused along the way. I've tried my best to make it the least confusing, Um, but I will try to let you know timelines and what's going on. I'll try to to see if my brain will work right now. Okay. So, continually stop me when you need me to stop. Oh, you know I will. Okay. Is that you? Is that you? I see you. We're in Google Drive, guys, so we can see each other. (laughs) See, I told you I saw you. You're here with me. You're here. Alrighty. Are you ready? Uh, Let me move this real quick. I want to make sure. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So, today I'm going to tell you about the murders of Jerry Hillard and Marilyn Green. Oh, okay. Let's do it. How old are they? So, um, about 1 a.m. on August 15th, 1982, the police are called to the pool in Washington Park on the south side of Chicago. The scene was two teenagers had been shot. So, they're teenagers. Mm -hmm. How old? Like 16? Uh, it just says 18 and 19. Okay, 18 and 19. Mm-hmm. All right. So, upon arrival, a teenage female holding her bleeding neck runs out the gate past officers, Chicago officers, at Anderson and Liache. Another officer, Officer Johnson, pulls up to the scene as well, and the female runs past them and get in the... Officer Johnson puts her in his car to go to the hospital. This is Marilyn Green as the teenager? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. she's a female? All right. They, um, the other officers, Officer Liache and Officer Anderson, they run south behind the bleachers and they see a man fleeing the area. They searched him, but found no weapon, and they let him go. Okay. So Officer Dwyer, a fifth officer, or no, a fourth officer, he enters the pool area and he sees in the bleachers a teenage male, Jerry Hillard, mm-hmm. laying there shot. Yikes. He asks two of the witnesses there to help him carry down Jerry to be transported to the hospital. So he was still alive or was he dead at mm-hmm. that point? Both of them were still alive. Okay, so they were just dying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once they got to the hospital... They died of their injuries. Dang. Jerry and Marilyn were engaged. What? Okay. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna I'm um I'm not gonna explain the evidence first. I'll give you the public's perspective okay. of kind of what happens next. Okay. And then we'll get into it. Okay. So go. warrant is issued for the arrest of a man named Anthony Porter. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Officer Liache. Is that this next dude that I see in the slideshow? Yes. Officer Liache identifies Anthony Porter as the man that he and Officer Anderson stopped behind the bleachers. I'm surprised they let him go if he was the only one they saw. You would think they'd take him, but because I guess they didn't have anything. So this true crime segment is heavily based off a documentary that I watched. Okay. Um, And I watched it with my sister, and we both had the exact same thought that you did. Why oh, okay. let him go just because he wasn't carrying a gun? It's very easy to toss a gun That's away from I mean, your yeah. hand. I just assumed, you know, if he was around, whoever is around and running around, you would think, you know, just right. take him in Regardless. just to question them to see what they saw or something, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. Okay. So, in 18, uh, well, <laughs> not 18, in 1983, 27-year-old Anthony Porter is convicted and sentenced to death for the murders of Jerry and Marilyn. He's 19? 27. Oh, he's 27. It was in 1983, so the following oh, year. okay. So he's okay. 27 years old. Why did he kill him? Okay. Yeah. So I'll let you know when you go to the next slide, but not yet. Okay, so we're... So now, after exhausting all of his appear- appeals, his execution date is set for September 23rd, 1998. Okay. So this is 16 years later, I believe. Interesting. Okay. So at this point, pro bono attorneys, meaning that they're doing this for free, they had Anthony Porter's IQ tested, and it came out to be 51. What so, is that on the IQ thing? So on the IQ scale, it. it's considered to be extremely low. I think under 60 is really low. Yeah, to, that's what it was. Yeah, 60, to kind of give you a point of reference... The average person, and I'm not looking at exact stats here, but I'm thinking they're probably like in the 90s, low hundreds. Mm-hmm. And then for some for some perspective, like Forrest Gump, he was considered to have, even though he's a fictional character, he was considered to have IQ in like the 70s. Yeah. So that's kind of a perspective of how low his he IQ was, was. Okay, that makes mm-hmm. sense. So. All right. so if you remember as we talked, we referenced the man and the bear a lot in this episode. So, in the episode... That one was just so vivid, man. It was a good episode. (laughs) In that episode, we talked about also the murder of Renee Hartfelt by Isai Sagawa. That was the cannibal episode, Mm -hmm. guys. And we talked about how you need to be be considered mentally sound in different degrees to stand trial and be convicted of certain crimes. Right. So, since Anthony Porter was already convicted of the crime, and it was still legal at this time to execute someone who was considered to have a diminished capacity, um, technically... The fact that his IQ was 51 doesn't really mean anything. But his legal team was trying to argue that his diminished capacity meant that he was incapable of understanding the punishment that he he was was, about to have. So he he literally, if he was the one who killed them, then obviously he knows what he did. So that's uh, if he did it. So this is about 50 hours before the execution, a stay of execution is granted by the Illinois Supreme Court. Okay. So, if you turn to the next slide. What does it have to do with this one that I'm looking at? The Northwestern University one? What Mm -hmm. does it have to do with it? You know what? I'm about to tell you. Oh. 
So now you wanted me to click on it. I've been click. I had been on it. I'm I like, told I don't you, know what it's about, girl. I told you I would let you know I'm when you can move on you, to the next your one. Your little, your little icon. Don't is follow moving. me. Don't don't follow my icon. Follow my voice. Whatever. Good God, woman. <laughs> follow directions. I said I will tell you when to move to the next slide. Not I will show move you. To Anthony Porter. Okay. 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 I'm here. So um. I'm I'm with you now. <laughs> Alrighty. So, professor, author, and leader of the Northwestern University's Innocence Project, David Protest, took this opportunity to have his journalism students take another look at the case. So, Protest was an accomplished individual. He had also worked in a similar way on a case called the Ford Heights Four, where mm-hmm. he was a part of having an innocent man exonerated from his crimes. Interesting. So, he has his students go to the crime scene and reenact the crime. What they found was that the lead witness, William Taylor, could not have seen Anthony Porter shoot Jerry Hillard and Marilyn Green from where he was standing. Interesting. They recorded William Taylor recanting his testimony. And the word recant means, like, to take back. Mm -hmm. So they film, they have a recording of William Taylor recanting his testimony. They also have a videotaped recording of an individual named Inez Jackson stating that she was a witness to the crime and that the murder was actually committed by her ex-husband, Al Story Simon. What is going on? They also have a video from Al Story Simon confessing to the murders. What? So, two days later, after his execution is stayed, Anthony Porter is released on September 21st, 1999 from prison. That's good. Because if he didn't do it, that's good. Yeah. So if you turn to the next slide, you will see the three individuals. William Taylor, Inez Jackson, and Al Story Simon. Okay. So these images are screenshotted from their videos of reading their statements. Okay. Alrighty. Now the world was really taken by this story. And it was kind of, um, like, there was a lot of press about it, lots of videos of Anthony Porter being released. Did people feel like they speculated this whole thing? They're like, ah. No, people were excited. People were very happy. Someone okay, who was good. innocent has been released, and the real person is going to get convicted. Even though they don't know which one it is. <laughs> but this wasn't what meets the eye. So the student's objective was to find evidence to free Anthony Porter. In 1999, when the students did the reenactment, concluding that William Taylor's testimony was wrong, that he his view was obstructed and he wouldn't have been able to see the crime take place, right. they said that the murder took place in the corner of the bleachers. What? But according to the police report and the crime scene photos, that isn't where the murder took place. Yo, who and the fence, with the evidence? And the fence that supposedly would have obstructed his view didn't exist in 1982. What? They also claimed that William Taylor was the only witness, 
and that him recanting his statement meant there was no evidence against Anthony Porter. But William Taylor wasn't the only witness. He was one of seven witnesses. Yo, what is going on? Why everybody lying? <laughs> Why you, you all lying? If you go to the next slide, you can see a representation of the exact bleachers. Okay. So the picture um, in the bottom corner is what they look like today. Okay? Bottom right? Yes. The picture in the top left corner shows a little arrow to where the crime scene happened. Mm -hmm. And the second body that doesn't have a label over it is where the students say the crime took place. What the heck? Mm -hmm. That's pretty far away. So here are the facts of the case that I previously withheld from you. When, How dare they? When Marilyn Green was shot, yeah. she held her hand up to block her face, and the gunshot went through her hand into her <sighs> neck. Ah! And that's why she was holding it bleeding when she ran out. Yikes! The investigators thought it was an attempted robbery because her necklace was found on the ground. But really, it probably mm -hmm. just broke off when mm -hmm. she got shot in the neck. And Jerry Hillard was shot in the head. Ouch. A total of five shots were fired. On his head? Um, in total for both Marilyn and Jerry. Okay. Okay. So now I'm going to talk to you about the witnesses. Oh, so these witnesses were a part of the evidence in the original case against Anthony Porter, which for some reason were completely dismissed by the Northwestern University students when they reinvestigated the case. Wait, why they dismiss it? They're literally the ones who are like, oh, you know, we know stuff. What? Well, let me tell you about the witnesses, okay? Okay. So in 1982, when the murder took place, the investigators initially had two witnesses, William Taylor and Henry Williams. Um, Henry Williams, the by the... Is Henry Williams? By the time that they reinvestigated the case, Henry Williams had passed away. Oh, dang. But they were each taken, to, at the time of the crime, they were each taken to the crime scene independently to reenact the crime. Both say they saw Marilyn Green and her fiancé, Jerry Hillard, sitting in the bleachers. So, uh, I can't remember the name of the festival or the celebration, but it was a, it was a celebration that day in the community. There was a bunch of, um, floats and things like that. Was it, was it in February? No, it was in August. So it was in August and, um, everybody went to the local pool that night. Like, obviously it was close to the public, mm -hmm. but a bunch of kids, you know, they hopped the fence to go swimming. And the cops said, like, they're not going to go and get anybody for trespassing. They're just going swimming. Right. So that's what um, Henry Williams and William Taylor went to do. By the way, this is very confusing because their first name and last names are interchangeable. So I'll do my best not to get them mixed up. I just realized they have William Taylor, Henry Williams. <laughs> yeah. So they go to go swimming. And when um, Henry Williams is about to get in the pool, Anthony Porter approaches him from behind and puts a gun to his head. What? To rob him of whatever money he's got. And he's only got $2, so he gives it to Anthony Porter. Okay. An Anthony Porter walks away with another man to go sit in the bleachers next to Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard. Okay. So, William Taylor initially said that he saw the shooting but didn't know the offender, initially. But he later admitted, 
um, that he had hopped out of the pool, turned the bleachers, and saw Anthony Porter pointing a gun to kill Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard. What? And seeing Porter run to the back stairs. So William Taylor and Henry Williams said they hopped the fence and ran away because they were scared. But why would they say, why would William Taylor say he did it? No, William Taylor said he saw Anthony Porter shoot. No, I'm talking about before. Because they were scared of Anthony Porter. So that's why he didn't, that's why he admitted to doing it before? So, no, William Taylor. Yeah, I'm talking about when you Mm -hmm. told me about, like, the William Taylor, Inez Jackson, and... No, that's Alice Story Simon. So William Taylor initially recant... Sorry. So at this point, this is in 1982. He Mm -hmm. hasn't recanted his testimony yet. Oh, okay, okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So initially, he he didn't come forward with his full testimony. Initially, he said, he said, hey, I saw the shooting, but I don't know the dude who did it. Because he was scared. Then, okay, mm -hmm, okay, okay. So then the police are talking to him, and Henry Williams kind of, you know, encourages them to tell the truth. And they admit that, yeah, they both saw it was Anthony Porter. Because William Taylor had seen, I can't remember if it was earlier in the week or earlier that year, but he had seen Anthony Porter rob elderly people, Bro. and and he was scared for the safety of his grandmother. So, I feel bad for the grandma, too. <laughs> so that's why, excuse me, so that's why he didn't say anything at first. Okay, okay. So I won't go through what each witness saw, but all of them basically saw the same thing. Okay. Um, there were a total of seven witnesses at this time. Mm. Kenneth Edwards, Michael Woodfork, Eugene Beckwith, William Taylor, Henry Williams, Mark Sr., and Officer Anthony Liace, because he saw Anthony Porter fleeing. Okay. Um, I was about to say, an officer saw, yo. <laughs> In 2006, so this is a bit of a time jump, but um, a new witness came forward, and that was Ray Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time of the shooting, he was 13, and for the same reasons, he didn't say anything. He was scared. Um, but later yeah, he was on, 13 years old, right? And later on, he did come forward. So all the people who were there that night were, you know, went to the pool to hang out, went to swim, but they all corroborated the same story that they saw Anthony Porter in the bleachers stand up and shoot Jerry Hillard and Marilyn Green. Okay. Okay. So, so this going, is why he got arrested in the first place. Yes. From from all of that witness testimony, besides, I think, Kenneth Edwards and Ray Brown, because their testimonies came out years later, mm-hmm. but based on those witness statements, that is why Anthony Porter was arrested. Wow. That's all in the original report. It's all the original information. Now, okay. your question was, why the heck did the Northwestern students ignore all of this evidence? So... The Northwestern students obviously It didn't. makes sense now, <laughs> considering this is the reason why he got arrested in the f- mm-hmm. first place. So. so, they didn't talk to any of the other witnesses. Their defense was saying that, oh, it was too dark for the witness to have seen everything, or we didn't know there was other witnesses. You know, David Protest says, you know, that they obviously didn't look at them at all. <laughs> 
you know, but it's later on that we'll kind of get more clarification. Okay. Um, so if William Taylor saw Anthony Porter shoot them, why would he recant his statement in 1999, right? Because right. they've got a video of him admitting that that's not what happened. Well, if you go, if you go to, um, oh, sorry, the next slide was the list of the names of the witnesses. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the slide, no, stay in that slide. Don't go to the next slide. Okay. <laughs> um, you can go back to the slide of the Northwestern students. Okay. So if you look on there, there's a man named Paul Cialino. Mm-hmm. So he is a private detective, Italian. private investigator that um, was assisting. <laughs> yes, that was assisting the Northwestern students and the professor on the case. Mm-hmm. So he and one of the university students went to William Taylor's apartment to speak with him. And they told William Taylor that it's for the greater good for him to admit that he was wrong about his statement. Chilino provided him, provided William Taylor an affidavit, which is a sworn statement, pre-written out a new statement, and basically manipulated William Taylor to sign it. Like, they pretty much harassed him dang they yo. said <laughs> y'all some savage students yo basically it was mostly the p the pi strong arming but basically they were saying like this man is gonna die because you lied or things like that so he's scared and he wants them to leave him alone he just wants this to end so he's like okay fine i'll sign it whatever mm-hmm. and they videotape it Okay. Um, the students even spoke to Marilyn Green's mother, and they told her that they were looking at a new suspect. So they're covering all these areas. Okay. They sound savage as hell. Mm-hmm. So David protests, and two of the female students drive to Milwaukee from Chicago. Okay. I just Chi- said he protested, and I was like, what? Then no. I realized his name is, his last name is Protest. Another David. Another David. Here we go again. <laughs> um... So, uh, they knock on the door of Alastory Simon. So, they say that his name popped up in an investigation that they're working on, and they wanted to ask him about the victims. Mm-hmm. He said he didn't know anything about their deaths, and they talked for, like, five minutes. Um, when the girls were leaving and Simon was walking them out, David Protest got out of the SUV. So he wasn't with them when they were talking to Simon. He gets out of the SUV on the girls' way out. Mm-hmm. And he walks towards Simon, thanks him, gives him his business card, and tells him that an innocent man is going to die for what Alastory ah. Simon did. And says he knows that Alastory Simon killed those victims. Yo! The students <laughs> and David protest talk to Inez Jackson, Al Story Simon's ex-wife. Okay. They bought her groceries and a space heater. Of course they did. They videotaped her testimony. They buttered her up. Mm-hmm. She said that Hillard, Jerry Hillard, one of the victims, was a fellow gang member of her ex-husband, Al Story Simon, and that they argued over money. She of said she heard did. two gunshots. Later, when the police questioned her, she didn't have the right details. She couldn't remember how many shots. She couldn't remember who was there. Um, it's because they didn't butter her up. Mm-hmm. So this, so all of that happened in 1999. So okay. before um, he was released, 
they got this information. Okay. So, now, how in the heck did they get Alistair Simon to admit to killing Jerry Hillard and Marilyn Green? So, one night, Simon is high on cocaine. And someone knocked on his door at 6.30 in the morning. (laughs) It was Paul Cialino and this other guy named Arnold Reed. Okay. So they've got weapons and a tripod. They're they're claiming to be police from Chicago. They they push Simon back into his house. Cialino's standing over him with a reed, like, walking room to room to see if anybody's there. That doesn't help considering he is high he on is his mind. He is high on cocaine. So, Chilino says he knows that Simon committed the murders. He shows Simon this video of a man providing testimony and making allegations against an, uh, um, against Alistair Simon. Chilino turns on the TV <laughs> and David protests is on TV talking about how they figured out that Alistair Simon's the real killer and and everything like that. Okay. So, and they show Alistair Simon Inez Jackson's video saying that Alistair Simon committed the murders. Is this part of the whole getup because he's high and they have that footage? Or <laughs> well, is it they, real that uh, he's actually on TV and this happened? So this is real. Okay. So they actually got the video of Inez Jackson. David Protest was actually on TV. Jeez. And, um... Alistair Simon was high on cocaine, but that wasn't the doing of Paul Cilino. That was his own addiction issues. Yeah. So, so Cilino says they have abs, um, evidence to put Alistair Simon on death row. Yo. Cilino then admits that he's not a cop, but that they're private investigators. And he tells Simon that all they want to do is stop the execution of Anthony Porter. And Alistair Simon only has a half an hour to say that he committed the murders in self-defense. They tell Simon he's going to be paid off. He's never going to work again. And (laughs) so Alistair Simon uh, is sitting there and Paul Cilino puts his hand on his gun kind of in a threatening way. Mm -hmm. And Alistair Simon goes to reach for the phone but gets blocked by Arnold Reed, the other investigator. Yeah. And Arnold Reed pulls out his gun <laughs> to yes. Alistair Simon. And Chilino tells Alistair Simon that if he cooperates, he's guaranteed millions of dollars in movies and book deals. Right? What the heck? So Chilino writes this affidavit, remember, a sworn statement for Alistair Simon. And they rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it. Because Alistair Simon is freaking high. Yeah, so he has no idea. <laughs> so they're rehearsing right it. Mind. And then finally they record it. Is this even legal? He's high. <laughs> so, <coughs> so the heck? Um, and in the tape, when you look at it, Alistair Simon's basically looking down the whole time because he's got the paper right next to him for reference because he's so high, he can't remember it off the top of his head. Right. Right. So this is absolutely not legal. Like, uh, thank you. I was going to say, this does <laughs> like, not sound legal. First of legal. all, they're threatening him. They're, they're, um... He's literally under the influence. He's mm-hmm. vulnerable. And he they're not, no they're not police on. officers. <laughs> they're private investigators. So this video that they take of Alistair Simon, it goes straight to the news outlets. outlets. It doesn't go to the police. Yeah. And after the video is broadcasted, 
the U- the state's attorneys Bad. make moves to release Anthony Porter without ever even having the tapes in their possession. They just decide, hey, we to saw release this him on TV from seeing it on TV, as seen on TV, guys. That you just don't understand how bananas that is. Wow, that it's released without the U.S. attorneys even authenticating the video at all. What? They make moves to release him. What? <laughs> so, 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 um, Paul Cilino promises Simon he's going to have the best defense attorney. Okay. Okay. So he gets him Jack Rimland, who actually turns out to be a buddy of Paul Cilino. <laughs> so Rimland, <laughs> Rimland tells heck? Simon, he tells Simon that the evidence against him is super strong. And he even lies to him, telling him that Al Story Simon is also a suspect in a murder case in Milwaukee. Is that real, though? No. No. He's lying. He's straight up lying. He he encourages Al Story Simon to provide apology to Marilyn Green's mother, Marilyn Green, the victim, Mm -hmm. in an email. So, like, he even writes him in an email to tell him to apologize to Marilyn Green's mom. Alistair Simon tells him the whole deal. Like, he tells him that he's innocent and everything. And this is how Rimland is operating. What the heck? So, after Simon is convicted in 1999, which typically, I mean, all the time when you're convicted and sentenced to death, you have almost like unlimited appeals. So, after he's convicted, he gets a a formal letter from... Rimland saying that their professional relationship is over. So this defense attorney gets Al Story Simon convicted and then says, Yo, we need to break up. Yo, what? Mm hmm. But he didn't do it. He did not do it. So, what the heck? Paul Chilino, like, he even admits, like, on TV that he quote unquote, bull rushed the confession and used harsh tactics yeah yeah you did that's an understatement bro (laughs) and kind of another time jump um for inez jackson in 2005 she admitted on video that she lied oh yeah of course she did she got buttered up (laughs) she said that david protest promised that there would be books written in a movie um, she died shortly after she made that confession. She didn't want to go to her deathbed having lied. lied. Mm-hmm. So it turns out David Protest kind of has a history of doing this, um, this sort of thing that he does. And um, Come on, Professor. <laughs> what are you doing, yo? So there were, So here's where we get to the kind of some crazy stuff. So this wasn't already crazy? Oh, it gets more crazy. <laughs> so, no, no. so remember... Anthony Porter gets released, and and he's going to die in 1999, okay? Okay. So, in 1998, the year before, and remember, David Protest says that he used Anthony Porter's stay of execution as an opportunity for his students. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1998, the year before, there are emails between David Protest and Paul Cilino Telling him to find the guy that they were certain was the killer. What? So basically, this stuff's starting a whole year before. And you remember when Al Story Simon was being bull rushed into confessing how yes. they showed him the video of the man providing the allegations against yes. him? That was an actor. 
That's messed up. Not dude. even a real person. That's so messed. This so, man has been done so dirty. The same year, 1998. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> um, the Northwestern students met with Anthony Porter in prison. Okay. okay. So after speaking with David Protest, Anthony Porter sets up this conspiracy. So you can go to the next page, the next slide now, okay? okay. So you can kind of see everybody, all the players. So you've got David Protest, Anthony Porter. They talk. He sets up a conspiracy from prison with this man named Walter Jackson. So Anthony Porter saved Walter Jackson from getting shanked on the playground in prison. Walter Jackson is Inez Jackson's nephew. Okay. So Anthony Porter and um, Walter Jackson team up. Walter Jackson tells his aunt Inez to frame Al's story, Simon, for the murder. And if she does, that... Walter Jackson and her son, Sonny Jackson, will get help to be released from prison by David Protest. What? Mm-hmm. And the affidavit, remember when Alistair Simon was being pushed to confess, how he had him sign the affidavit? The affidavit was word for word from Walter Jackson's fake testimony. This is so messed <laughs> up. So to understand how this even happened... So, 1999, right? Gosh. When this is all come out, right? So, um, this is after the videos have been made from Inez Jackson, Alistair Simon, William Taylor. And after they've made moves to have Anthony Porter released, they pull a grand jury to review all of the evidence. Right. So, the first grand jury is just purely a review. They explicitly tell the jury, that they're not moving to make an indictment against Simon, but they're they're only helping the prosecution to look at the evidence and re-review it based on everything that's come out, right? So they're looking at everything. They're hearing from all of the witnesses. And this is 1999, okay? Okay. So they're hearing from all of the witnesses, all the information, right? And this is before Al's story Simon is ever convicted of anything. So we're kind of in a between period. And right. it's very clear that the Northwestern students have no case. Like, they didn't look at all the witnesses. They botched the reenactment. You know, clearly it's messed up. So, so basically, useless. yeah. So basically, the grand jury determines that the police are right, that Anthony Porter did commit the crime. So, and this went on for over a month. The grand jury was held for a month. So once that grand grand jury convenes, remember, they didn't make moves to convict Alistair Simon. They hold a second grand jury, okay, Mm -hmm. the following month. And these are completely different jurors. And they are presented with only a fraction of the evidence in a single afternoon. What? And they heard none of the original witnesses. They didn't hear anything about the Northwestern students or, or David protests and their sketchiness. They didn't hear anything about the skepticism of the new testimonies. And <laughs> so what did they get? So they got they got freaking scraps. And based on that grand jury, they indicted Al Story Simon. What? And that's how he was convicted of he was convicted of the crime, even though as far back as 1999, they knew Anthony Porter did it. So, so there are kind of some fallbacks here of why this happened. So you remember when Alistair Simon's 
confession video came out and the state's attorney's office immediately made moves to have Porter released. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly they jumped the gun, right? Yes. And it, there's some contention between the attorneys as to whether or not it was a political decision that they just had to move quickly and save face or that they just believed that they were wrong. Like, there's no clear answer from the state's attorney's office. Mm-hmm. But clearly, this happening, I believe, is their fault. Okay? Right. So, Alstory Simon gets 37 years in prison. Oof. So, and you remember when he gets convicted, Rimlin is his attorney, and Rimlin's like, no, dude, I got your back. 37 years is great. You could have been put on death row, blah, blah, blah. So, to understand um, false confessions, it's such a difficult thing to imagine. Because you can't imagine admitting to something you didn't do. Mm -hmm. But there are so many elements at play that could lead to a false confession. And Al Story Simon's situation almost checks off every single box. Because he was high, so he was paranoid. And could you imagine, you're you're high on cocaine... And two strangers come in your house and they start showing you videos of people saying that you absolutely committed a murder. Mm-hmm. Right? That like sounds they just like bombard you with all this. That sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. It's crazy. So Incredibly. And he thinks that, okay, this is the best thing that's gonna happen to me. They're gonna give me money. I'm gonna be okay. You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, once Simon reads the transcripts, mm-hmm. he sees that the evidence against him was barely anything. So he, so this whole time he's been told that his conviction's a sure thing. Like, this evidence is so strong. And he sees that he was totally duped. So he files his own motion for appeal in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, How many years has he been in jail at this point? At this point, he'd only been in jail for three. Okay. And he was, he filed his own motion and said that he was innocent and he was coerced. But his petition was denied. Dang. He got a new attorney, filed a new petition, denied. Okay. He's not getting a break. So here's kind of the aftermath, okay? Okay. So 2011, David Protest gets suspended from the university. Because because he was um, altering archived emails. Bro. Mm -hmm. What are you doing, man? You're a professor. (laughs) Stop putting your foot where it's not supposed to go. So he has since formed his own Chicago Innocence Project, right? Mm -hmm. So in 2013, the Cook County State's Attorney's Office reopened the case. And the following year, in 2014, they vacated the charges against Alistair Simon. Um, So he's free to go. Mm-hmm. And in the documentary, you see them taking him out to dinner. He's, and been, uh, he's been in jail at how many years at this point? 15 years and eight months for a crime he didn't commit. That's insane. That they knew he didn't commit in 1999. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And um, now you're probably wondering, uh, how come Protest and Cialino are not arrested? I'm also wondering what's happened to Anthony Porter. Um, I'll get there. Okay. So by the time of 2014, for any crimes that they could have been charged with, the statute of limitations had already passed. And the (laughs) statute of limitations means that there are certain crimes that if if committed a certain period of time ago, you cannot be convicted of that crime. What? So, Al Story Simon filed a lawsuit against... 
uh, the Northwestern University's Innocence Project in 2015. This is after he got out. After he got out, and he was awarded a settlement in 2018. So good for him. That's good. Now your last question. What happened to Anthony Porter? Well, my dear, I must regretfully inform you about double jeopardy. Oh, no. What double jeopardy means is that you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. So because Anthony Porter was tried once, convicted, and then exonerated, he cannot be tried for the same crime again. What? Is that seriously real? That is a thousand percent real, my dear. Come on, America. So, double jeopardy is a good thing, even though in this case it sucks. Because he did it again, didn't he? No. Oh. No, he didn't do it. Well, I don't know what he did with the rest of his life, to be honest. But double jeopardy is a good thing as long as the government is doing their job, which we know they don't do all the time. So, it prevents you from being basically harassed by... The mm-hmm. criminal justice system. Yeah. You know, if you really didn't commit a crime, like, basically, without double jeopardy, they could just get constant do-overs. And you could be in court for the rest of your life. Which so, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So that it's in sense. place to protect the individual. But the problem here is that the state's attorney's office didn't do their freaking job and followed zero protocols. Like, they basically could have re- they released him on false grounds yeah mm-hmm. so so you've heard kind of about the the crimes of um that's happened here okay <laughs> yeah crazy um, all kinds of crimes now let me tell you the the biggest crime of this whole story. I don't even know what's the biggest crime at this point. That's a lot of crimes. <laughs> the biggest crime of this whole story is that it completely forgets about Jerry Hillard and Marilyn Green. Yeah. They are completely lost in this. And while researching this case, I kind of almost cried. Because as you know, what I like to do is I like to kind of look up about personal things about the victims to kind of give some backstory and different stuff about them. Mm -hmm. And the only information I know about Jerry Hillard is that he was 18 or 19 years old. Seriously? I know nothing else. That picture you saw first, I don't even know. his face. I don't even know if that is Jerry Hillard. From watching the documentary, they didn't explicitly say any pictures of who was Jerry Hillard. That picture of Marilyn Green is Marilyn Green. When you go on Google and you search the names Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard, there is zero pictures of them. That's so sad. The only pictures are of the Northwestern students, Anthony Porter, and Al Story Simon, or even Inez Jackson, not a single photo of them. If you search faces of Jerry Hillard and Marilyn Green, not a single photo. The most information that I have about Marilyn Green is a single line from the documentary that said she was a mother of two. And we don't even know what happened to those two kids. The only other information I have from Marilyn Green is on the last slide, which is from her grave, mm. that just says some basic... Um, bio information 
that she was born August 23rd, 1962, that she died at the age of 19 on August 15th, 1982, that um, her father was Andrew Davis and her mother was Ophelia Green, and that she's currently laid to rest at the A.R. Leak, um, oh, sorry, at the Oak Ridge Cemetery. That's it? That is all that I know. Now they never really got justice either, which really no justice. Sucks. They get zero justice. Everyone got selfish and started focusing on everything mm-hmm. else. There's there's this one article that has the same sentiments. When I was researching this case, for hours I was trying to use the Wayback Machine. I was trying to change whatever. I could not find an obituary. Nothing. That's so sad. I was getting creative. <laughs> So as you do, there's this one article by um, Peter V. Bella mm-hmm. called "Justice for Alice Story Simon: No Justice for Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard." Mm-hmm. Is written October thirtieth, two thousand fourteen, and there's just some lines from this that, like, I feel are really powerful. What do you? What were the lines? Okay. So one is left out of the story, except in passing, are Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard. They are two people who were murdered in 1982. No, is, no one is speaking for them. They have no news media cheerleaders. Academics are not coming out of the Ivy to speak for them, like they did for David Protest when he was discredited. Mm-hmm. Powerful progressives are silent. They are dead. It is as if they never existed. They do not count or matter in the running narrative of a train wreck. Um... Lost in all the publicity were Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard. No one made a name for them. No school gained renown on their account. No reporters wrote about them or mentioned them on television. Protest, Porter, and Simon got all the ink and pixels. Wow. That's so, so that's, that's, I, I cried when I was researching it. I'm kind of a baby, but it just, usually I can get a line, just a single line. Like even with, um, Eduardo Sanchez from last week, the man in the, the man wall. in the wall, the man who, the one who's, who really who's found in Canada, the one you couldn't really find information on either. At least we knew he was a DJ yeah, and he liked music yeah, and that he was a good brother and a great son. You found at least something. But with... Um, Jerry Hillard, nothing, Zilch. nothing but his name, not even a birth year. And with Marilyn Green, you see, well, you got his age, you got his age. So you could get his birth year from the day, but not his birthday. The... Oh yeah. And then in the documentary, which is an excellent documentary, um, you do see them talk, see words from Marilyn Green's mother and sister, mm-hmm. but it's more about the case, nothing about her. So... The real crime that I'm telling you about today is of the murder of Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard. And, of course, Alistair Simon is a great travesty that he was put in prison. Yeah. But if people advocated as hard for Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard as hard as they advocated for Anthony Porter, they would have justice and maybe more would be known about them. Yeah, that's why you don't. You shouldn't always believe what you see on TV. I always, especially the state's attorney's office, don't believe 
confessions you see on TV. Like, yo, come maybe, on now. Maybe actually have them and validate them first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on now. So that is, that is um, the my... lesson, guys, is um, don't believe everything you see on TV and mm-hmm. don't do drugs. Yeah. So my source, my main source for this, and of course, little tidbits from Wikipedia or whatever, but my main source of information was a documentary called Murder, A Murder in the Park. Mm-hmm. It's on Amazon Prime. And it's really well done. The visuals are amazing. And even though it doesn't, Marilyn Green and Jerry Lee Hillard, Jerry Hillard are merely a footnote in the story, it's still um, very informative on the situation. That's good. At least there's something. Mm-hmm. Ah, jeez. Are you okay? <laughs> Sorry, I was passionate about this one. I, I could tell. You got into that one. Yes. But for the most part, um, I was able to keep up. So, so my connection to this case <laughs> for the Bones episode was obviously last minute stay of execution. Yeah. And where the person who was stayed of the execution was the true murderer in the first place. Yep. A lot of connections. So and kind guys, of point there. if you are just listening and something made if it did not make sense, we do we are on YouTube, so you could see visuals there. Yes. And if you just want to just watch the true crime segment, we mm-hmm. will have it posted. Yeah, we as split well. it in half. So if you're just interested in listening to the true crime segment, um I'll use um I'll probably end up using a lot of imagery from the documentary as reference. Especially so that we can keep track of what's happening. Yes. I know it's kind of confusing, but um the documentary kind of jumps around, too. But if I told it in their order, you'd be way more confused. Yeah. <laughs> um, but watching it, it's an enjoyable experience. So, yeah, yeah check out our YouTube video, rest of our social media. Um, we're Rate, on... review, and subscribe. Yes, please. Let... Please give us a We a need review. some feedback, guys. Yeah. Because, I mean... If we annoy you, tell us what annoys us. What annoys you about us? We want to get. About you. <laughs> we want to get better. We want to. Um, we're we have a lot of fun doing this. I mean, if and, you like um, us, then yeah, give us the good stuff. Yeah, let us like us. Yeah, validate us, us or critique us. You pick. You do whatever your heart. If you want us to do something else, we could do something else. Mm-hmm. We'll keep this on the side, but we could yeah. do other stuff too. We like other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But even if you guys don't, we probably will do stuff anyway. So you could stay True. tuned for that. We like a lot of stuff, so we'll probably try it anyway. Yeah, so let us know what you think, and we'll see you next time. And if we haven't, you know, completely turned you off, and you don't find us completely irritating, let's hang next week. Yeah, don't turn us off. Please don't turn us off. Stay turned on. Thank you. I just did finger guns. You did not just do finger guns. I still have finger guns in the air. Goodbye, guys. (laughs) Have a good one. Catch y'all next week. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Yeah, let's go to bed. Goodbye. (laughs) Next week on The Heart and the Bones. So the idea of Hallmark Hot means that the person in really any other context just looks like an average person. But in the context oh, 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 of, I know what of a Hallmark about. movie, they're like the male lead and they're seen as like super attractive. But they're totally not. But they're really not. <laughs>